0: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective.
1: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor, and my guest today is Elise Cole-Grant. Elise has her MBA from New York University's Stern School of Business and is currently the Chief Information Officer at Coordinated Behavioral Care's Innovative Management Solutions. Elise oversees implementation and utilization of a data analytic platform across two large behavioral health networks covering over 160,000 patients. She also manages vendor relations and partnership strategies and assists with identifying and managing new business service lines to provide sustainable and scalable solutions across mental health networks. Elise, it's so nice to have you here. Welcome to the show.
0: Uh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here today. It's
1: nice to have you. You know, uh, while I know we're going to be jumping in just a minute around digital trends and improving mental health with digital health, everybody that I get a chance to interview in the podcast typically has a meaningful story that brought them into the mental health field. And your story involves somehow bringing your MBA Into this health information technology, but I'd love to understand what it was that might have been the impetus to come into this field the way you have.
0: I noticed too that most people have a personal story that really brings them into the behavioral health community based industry. And mine is I grew up in Berkeley, California. My mom is a teacher, my dad is an artist, and I have a younger brother, Raymond. Now, like most siblings, when they're young, is they take bubble baths together at night. So every night, or almost every night, my brother and I took bubble baths together and we would have these bubble bath wars where we would splash each other as hard as we could and we would declare victory the (laughs) moment the other person gave up, right? And we enjoyed this. And I don't remember most memories from when I was that young, but this one evening, has stuck in my brain in particular is that one night we were you know having our usual bubble bath and playing bubble bath wars and I splashed my brother twice and he didn't splash back so then I splashed again and he looked at me but he didn't look at me he looked past me as I Mm -hmm. splashed him and so then I splashed him one more time really hard and he continued to just look past me Mm. So I grabbed his hands and I made the splashing motion. And, you know, I said, Hey, remember, splash me, splash me. And I did that about three times. And then I paused and then I picked my hands back up and I splashed him three more times. Mm. And there was nothing. He he didn't splash me. He just looked past me. And from that moment, I knew that something had changed with my brother, that uh-huh it was different than the nights before huh. and at that time they didn't diagnose autism as yeah. early as they do now but about 10 months later he was diagnosed with autism
1: got it i love this idea of i want to just frame i don't know what if i'll have any resonance later on in our talk but this idea you grabbed his hands there's something something about that let's just name that and as we kind of go on here what you're doing in your work where maybe you're helping people's hands get grabbed to be helped and for things to be looked at here. But there's something, there's something very touching about that.
0: Yeah. You know, putting yourself out there to help individuals who may not have a voice is something that I didn't realize at the time that was leading me into more of the behavioral health side of things. But now stepping back, I realize that If I can help individuals have a voice in this world for those that don't necessarily have a voice or don't know how to speak up, then that's what I want to do. And I do it in a very different way. I'm not a service provider, right? I don't have direct relations with the patient populations we Mm -hmm. serve, but I advocate in different ways. I advocate in technology solutions and funding mechanisms to help centralize the data across these populations so that way we can serve them in the best way we know
1: how. That's really a great. I think what's really interesting is that you get to bring to mental health what mental health folks are usually not all that good at. You know, we're we're really good at providing services and understanding some of the systems that can help people and what they need, but bringing them together in a coordinated way, <laughs> that's not necessarily our, our our area of expertise or even that part of our brain, I think sometimes. So what I love and I'm excited about to talk about today is how... The coordinated behavioral care that we're going to refer to as CBC leverages community partnerships to coordinate an integrated medical and behavioral health set of interventions. But as we frame it that way, and that's really your mission, as I've read and understood, what are some of the challenges that you've seen that are leading the behavioral health industry, maybe even to fall behind in terms of technology and bringing systems together the way that you're thinking about them and bringing them together?
0: To understand why behavioral health is so far behind on a technology standpoint. We have to do what we do many times, which is go back in the past and look at the history. So let's Let's take a walk down memory lane for a second, shall we? In 2011, uh, Meaningful Use came to light. And Meaningful Use is a federal initiative led by CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid, that supplied funding and support to eligible professionals such as hospitals, primary care providers, nurse practitioners, to demonstrate meaningful use from their electronic health record system. This is when healthcare came out of the ice ages and went from paper to electronic. And we move, we slowly move folks more into the digital space. Right? Okay. Now, when you look at those eligible providers, behavioral health providers, community-based providers were never in that eligibility criteria. Therefore, they were never represented in that population of providers who received funding and who received technical support to upgrade their systems to electronic health record systems. So that's where it started. And now we are just starting to provide resources to the behavioral health communities to be more efficient in technology. Still, It created an infrastructure problem where the medical field, the physical health space is now, you know, using their EHRs and they're starting to use digital health technologies. And we're talking about big data and analytics when in reality, you know, there's a lot of assumptions that all providers have these technologies accessible to them, but behavioral health providers really just getting started, you know? And New York state is fairly progressive when it comes to health care and it, when it comes to providing grants for behavioral health providers and the money we see generally flows to the service delivery side, mm-hmm. which is great. Right. And based on the administration at the time, you know, more money flows or less money flows to the service delivery side. But on the flip side of that is that there's not a lot of money that flows to the administration and the technology side. So although the delivery of care might be very innovative and progressive, the technology is behind because there are not a lot of resources in that area.
1: You know, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, when you think about the growing need in mental health, this idea of kind of having siloed services is not going to meet the need anymore. There has to be some kind of a coordinated integrated way of looking at the different levels of need, whether it's primary, secondary, tertiary, whatever it's going to be for someone, including you know the, the, the medical health side, the old models aren't going to work anymore given the growing number of needs and demands in this. And this sounds like what you're doing is you're trying to bring technology to help kind of bring together this growing demand. And I know actually you guys do some surveys as well and uh, looking at the need. I would love to hear about how some of the surveys and the understanding of the needs and what's going on, helping to shape what you've brought together in these integrative ways. Tell me about those surveys.
0: Sure, so we did a survey with CBC and Coordinated Behavioral Care is a behavioral health IPA that we deal with about a network of 100,000 Medicaid patients and work with about 60 agencies. We also work with another New York behavioral health IPA, Coordinated Behavioral Health Services, that caters to about 60,000 Medicaid patients and works with about 40 agencies. And so we did a survey with CBC about three years ago where we surveyed patients from the Bronx and we surveyed about 470 patients that suffer from severe mental illness. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, Depression here and there, I'm talking about, you know, they're diagnosed with schizophrenia, eating disorders, trauma, stress-induced related. And these are individuals that suffer from severe social determinants of health factors. They oftentimes are homeless. They don't have access to the right food or medication, and they certainly can't afford the right medication and so, predominantly, they are under the Medicaid system. Okay. Now, we surveyed these individuals to get a sense of the technology they have access to, because we wanted to start from like a level playing field of what types of technologies do these patients have access to? Okay. And to our surprise, 71% of them access the internet through a smartphone Is every right? day. Is that right? I didn't know they even had smartphones. Uh, That's something, that's an initiative that New York State pursued to ensure that our Medicaid population had access to smartphones. Now, 71% of them accessing a smartphone every day tells us a lot, tells us that they have access to these technologies. They can use these technologies Right. So that opens the door, first and foremost, that we have a patient willing to use, you know, a technology that we put forth in front of them. Now, back to the infrastructure problem, going back to the electronic health records where our providers are just starting to really leverage these electronic health records puts us still at a disadvantage because there are certain basic functionalities that aren't applied to these patients, such as 86% of patients and 97% of providers wish that they received appointment reminders. Okay. Mind blown. When I booked a nail appointment three days ago, I received three reminders to show up to my nail appointment. Yeah. And yet you're telling me that an individual who suffers from schizophrenia who may or may not have a roof over their head and has to go to a group therapy appointment on Monday at 10 a.m. doesn't receive an appointment reminder. And we expect that person to show up on time, ready to go is mind blowing. So as exciting as these digital health trends are right now, and we can talk about the VC money going into digital mental health, We still have to remember the basic fundamentals. Very basic. Yeah. Yeah, People should get appointment reminders. Uh, I'll throw one more stat out there. 73% of patients and 88% of providers wish that they could access medication information. Yeah. And 72% of patients wish that they could schedule an appointment online, which means that they can't currently schedule an appointment online because it dates back to eligibility issues Mm -hmm. what providers you know who what type of insurance do you have are you on medicaid are you eligible for this service or not this service it's very confusing and if it's confusing to me who's worked in healthcare for some time it's got to be confusing to a patient who's in the system who needs assistance and who can't just figure it out and be able to manage their own care by booking an appointment online like you and I probably can in the you know regular health insurance world. So you know it's it, we have a long way to go and um, to rate to make sure that the fundamentals are in place.
1: We'll be right back after word from our sponsor.
0: Are you preparing for a licensure exam in psychology,
1: social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, or behavioral analysis? AATBS is here to help. We have been supporting behavioral and mental health students to prepare for their licensure exams for more than 45 years, working with over 1 million students to succeed on test day and move on to the next step in their career. With products ranging from comprehensive courses to quiz banks and delivered live online, self-study online, and in print, AATBS has test prep solutions that meet every student's needs and learning styles. Visit us today at
0: aatbs.com.
1: That's A-A-T-V-S and use promo code BHT15 to save 15% off your next purchase. Isn't it interesting sometimes, you know, we're, we're so caught up in what seem to be the bigger, more important things that we forget. That there are some basic stepping stones, send out an appointment, find out more about information on medication, schedule your own appointment. These little, you know, kind of in the weeds things that we think they are, we we forget about those, but those are the ones that bring people into the office or get them to the group you're talking about and get them the services that they need. And I like this idea that you're finding out what people have access to, what they're going to be referencing and how they can use that as a basic start. To get some of these needs met, you you mentioned also some of the VC money coming in, as well as some of the trends, you know, in healthcare, you're talking about kind of booming. Talk about those two pieces coming in as well.
0: In yeah. 2001, we saw about $30 billion of VC money going in, pouring mm-hmm. into digital health. $5.1 billion approximately, depending on which report you read, is mental health care. We've done a great job of breaking down the stigma. We did not talk about mental health like this four years ago. No, it it wasn't until we saw, you know, Michael Phelps. Right. Talk about mental health and go out publicly and, you know, express and share his own life experience. And this is an Olympic gold medalist. I think 12, 13 gold medals. I should know I'm a swimmer, but you know, where our children look up to him and now Mm. he's being very open about mental health. We saw this past Olympics, right? Where other athletes express mental health concerns where, you know, Simone even took herself out of the gymnastics event because of mental health. Issues that she was facing at that time. So we've broken down the stigma in a way that we never done before, which is really great. And that kind of opened up this sort of market of digital health technologies coming yes. into this space because there's a higher demand. And you know, we when we say digital health, we have to talk about telehealth because telehealth is a booming category. I think. The last report I read, about $9.5 billion of VC funding have been poured into telehealth solutions. And it was really triggered by the pandemic, right? Is that all of a sudden we were stuck at home and we needed a way to get care. Everyone's realizing that they are having some mental health crisis and we don't want to prevent folks from getting care. So telehealth really came to play, which going back to that survey I mentioned is transportation was the number one barrier to care for our our Medicaid population. Meaning folks had a really hard time getting to their appointment because of many things, child care, work, they didn't have access to public transportation or they didn't have a car. And so telehealth in this industry now or in this era is really breaking down that barrier.
1: Absolutely. I love that. You know, it's interesting serendipitously. I I want to little something you said right there, you know, the pandemic really interestingly enough helped us break down the stigma mm-hmm. because this was a worldwide pandemic. It wasn't like, oh, those people over there are kind of anxious or those people over there are kind of depressed and mm-hmm. everyone got affected in some way by the mandates for isolation and, you know, kind of quarantining. Everybody was disconnected from relationships. People were homebound, et cetera. Everybody experienced some kind of symptomatology, didn't they? Whether it's just an anxiousness about the uncertainty of life or the existential things that got kicked up or just the isolation and withdrawal that we had to mandated to do to stay safe, but everybody experienced something. So it's not so much about, oh, that guy over there in the corner, you know, he's having a hard time. We all had a hard time.
0: it's not taboo anymore.
1: It's not taboo anymore. Yeah. And we all have something, you know, to greater or lesser degrees. And what you're saying is you're bringing together some services for those that might be more challenged in some areas with diagnoses that are a little bit more significant in terms of their impact and their life change, but finding ways to help them have some success in their lives. You do a number of things too. I know um, you have a couple of programs. You have a health home program. Mm -hmm. You talked about CBC's IPA. I would love to hear a little bit more about the health home. I know it, it's a group of healthcare providers and service providers collaborating really to try and ensure that, like you said, the Medicaid beneficiaries with you know complex chronic mental illness uh, and or some other behavioral health disorders are receiving the services that they need. These are some really great programs.
0: Yep. So we CBC operates in our mission to improve the continuity of care, right? Yeah. From when... You need care to when you go into the hospital from when you are admitted or discharged out of the hospital and going back into the community and making sure that we are sending providers to your residents, to the hospital to meet you. So that way that you can reintegrate back into the community. And yeah. the health home is a state funded program where there's various health homes. CBC has one of the largest health homes in New York state and I think we provide services to approximately 20,000 patients, and in addition to the health home, we have various other programs such as the Pathway Home, which is a very intensive program that meets individuals who are discharged out of a psychiatric hospital and is about anywhere from a three to nine-month program helping that individual integrate back into the community Absolutely and provides their
1: program. Yeah.
0: Oh, it They've provides been on our
1: show. They've been on our podcast. Oh, they have. Phenomenal oh, well, okay. Group. Phenomenal yes. group. I'm so glad you're mentioning them because it's, it's outstanding.
0: Yep. It's pretty impressive. And when you're talking about, you know, community-based care and social determinants of health, you know, yes. it's the, the program is flexible enough to use dollars to yeah. provide someone a gym membership. Or someone, you know, help someone go to the grocery store, and or the talk. phones
1: you talked about earlier. In fact, I was thinking about the pathways on because I know that's one of the things they did, and I was I didn't know that they were, you know, were going to be referenced in the show, but I'm glad they are because that's we're, we're providing people with some basic things that allow success to be experienced.
0: Yep. Yeah. Love it. Yep. And you know where I kind of fit in, and where our department or our company fits in is when you're providing those services how do you track those services? How do you track the progress yeah. of someone's care and show that they are improving their care? They're improving the quality of life, which yeah. is harder to do in the behavioral health side of things because it's not so much medical. There's not numbers. It's not like you're on a scale right. and you're tracking your blood pressure. That's right. It's you're tracking your depression and One person's depression and the other person's depression could be completely different, you know, Mm -hmm. and yet you guys fall on the same scale, so to speak. So it's you're dealing with not quantitative data, you're dealing with qualitative data and how do we quantify qualitative data? it's hard to do. And right now we're working on and we're building a centralized business intelligence platform to centralize the data, to try to break down those data silos and feed them into the same place. So then we can really track performance measures over time for the population that we serve And be bigger players in a, what we call value-based payment arrangement, where we are receiving incentives based on the value we bring to an individual, as opposed to the quantity of services we bring to an individual.
1: What I like about your saying there is too, is that, you know, we can look at, you know, one's depression, anxiety, one's. Maybe episodes with bipolar, or schizophrenic, you know, type episodes go up and down. And they do vary. But another way to measure these performance measures is through other ways that are telling about the effectiveness of the services you guys are doing. You're talking about with your programs, people are more likely to receive preventative medical care at the front end. So we're talking about primary prevention, maybe even secondary prevention, or they're less likely to use emergency rooms and for just routine health care. That's a huge cost savings. Also, talking about the less likelihood of requiring a hospitalization admission to remedy some health concerns, or even the mental health concerns too. So, these things at a, at the front end reduce costs are great performance measures, and I think are really telling of ways that we can treat mental health in a very proactive way.
0: You know, and it's easy to talk about it from the high level, and people are like, "Oh, that's great, decrease hospitalizations." Let me share a story where I personally witnessed a situation. I was at the Dunkin' Donuts and I was at like 1130 at night across the street from Port Authority in New York City. I was waiting for my friend to meet me to go out somewhere. And there was an individual. He was obviously homeless and he was on his phone. He was sitting across, you know, the Dunkin' Donuts from me. And I think he was probably just trying to stay warm. And he asked me what time it was. I told him the time. He said, "You know, where's your boyfriend?" I said, "I don't have one at the time I didn't. I'm engaged now. He said, "Oh, that's crazy." And I was like, I know, I think it's crazy, too." And then we kind of laughed and shared a, a few more back and forth sentences. and then kind of he went back to his you know side of Dunkin Donuts, and I stayed in mine. And about two minutes passed, and two police officers walk in Dunkin Donuts and they say mm-hmm. to the gentleman, okay, it's it's time to leave." And the guy says, "Ah, oh, you know, can you give me a ride to this shelter? And the officer is like, I can't give you a ride, guy. Like, you, you just got to leave. And he didn't want to go anywhere. But as the police officers continued to say, hey, you really need to get up and leave this area, the gentleman, he, he switched, right? Something triggered him and he began to get very defensive and He said, oh, I saw you guys drag my brother down the street. And he was obviously remembering an episode from something that happened, I don't know, maybe years ago, maybe decades ago, an altercation with him and his brother and another policeman, you know, and I could tell that the situation was escalating very quickly. And this other officer, he called, I guess it was a therapist or maybe a case manager on his phone he said, hey, can you talk to this guy? And that. he put the phone and this was right. This was before the pandemic, really before telehealth kicked off. He gave the gentleman the phone and this woman, I could just hear her voice, talk to this gentleman for about three minutes, asked yeah. where he needed to go, what he was doing, what he had plans, if he needed a subway ticket or whatnot. And the guy immediately calmed down. Mm-hmm. The officer gave him a subway card. And then the gentleman left. Now, I forgot to mention that the officers, as the situation was escalating, the officer said, well, I can send an ambulance to come pick you up. And the guy's like, I don't need an ambulance. I need to go to the shelter and just leave me alone. And I was just thinking, wow, if that officer didn't call that woman, who I assume was a case manager or a therapist, they would have called an ambulance I don't know, that's $5,000 or something sent this guy to the hospital to wait in the hospital for another wow. few hours, taking up thousands of our taxpaying dollars because there were no other resources for the policemen at the time, right? Yeah. I mean, what are the policemen going to do? Give the guy a ride maybe, but who yeah. knows what that would have turned into. So it just goes to show you that small, minor detailed steps yes. in a workflow Can save the system. If that night it saved the system $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 maybe, imagine if that workflow was streamlined, imagine how much money we could save the system.
1: Let alone, like you're saying, further traumatize this guy
0: and put him through
1: just a hellish tormenting time that would have been just so <laughs> antithetical to what he needed and how cool yeah. to notice these things so you're talking about. We can get an appointment to them. They can check medications. They can call a therapist in that moment. And we're talking about the performance measures that also involve the significant, significant cost savings in this process. We even here, as we talk about this, uh, CBC's IPA, you know, offering some of your comprehensive health care network with serious, again, behavioral health disorders, You brought together a a group of primary health, behavioral health, coordinated care, recovery, supportive housing as well, Mm -hmm. social service interventions in all five boroughs of New York.
0: Yes. So we've catered to, I think, like I said, 100,000 Medicaid patients, provide all types of services from clinics, to substance use treatment, to Mm -hmm. residential facilities, homeless shelters.
1: Yeah, you have over 50 health and human services organizations all all working together in this coordinated fashion.
0: It's pretty incredible, you know, and it's, it's, I say it's incredible because it's easier said than done, right? These are all entities that have their own contracts, their own business lines, and now we are Working together, operating as one unit, dealing with many overlapping patients that kind of go from agency to agency. And what I've done with my team is really learn how to track these patients and how to centralize the data that we're pulling yeah and identify some measures of improvement and identify some performance measures for those patient populations. So that way we can further work as a unit across, I believe now it's 65 or 63 agencies, you know, work across those 63 agencies to try to move the needle slightly in Mm -hmm. the care that we provide.
1: It's really good. You know, we're kind of beginning to turn the corner in our time together, but I want to acknowledge How you bringing your business mind and the MBA and all the training you have, and just your your ability to kind of take that ten thousand foot view and say, how can we take all these really good services and bring them together, and again, a coordinated, synergistic, very complementary way to meet the plethora of needs that are clearly out there. I would like you to give a word to the listeners out there that might be not so much, you know, mentally health trained, but maybe more in the IT career or going for their business degrees. What would you say about them considering bringing their skills and abilities and talents and interests into the mental health, behavioral health field in a way that you've done? Give them a word.
0: So I I recently achieved my MBA from Stern, like you said, uh, about two years ago, and I went back and forth of trying to decide if I should get a master's in public health or Mm -hmm. a master's in public administration. And I realized There are a lot of folks that have an MPA and an MPH in my field, but there was a gap on the business side. There weren't as many MBAs in my field, which in turn, I saw an opportunity and said, you know what, let me, let me excel on some of my business expertise and let me feed that and leverage what I've learned on the business side to help the, this side of healthcare." And what I would say to listeners, technologies are not the solution. Okay. People are. All right. Technologies are the tools we use to uh-huh. build the solutions we need. I like that. And yeah. in this field, we need the people to help leverage the technologies yeah. to get us further down the road mm-hmm. to create this universal language and a universal standard of care that mm. needs to better exist in the behavioral health.
1: industry. I think if we're going to go forward with the services that we have available to us to provide, we need what you're describing as that bridge. So you're saying there's some room for those those to come on in here.
0: Absolutely. You know, when I was going back and forth into what type of higher educational degree I wanted to achieve i looked at and i considered getting my masters in public health my masters in public administration that's a very popular way to go in this field but i noticed that this field has a lot of experts who yeah. achieve that degree which is why it led me down to the path to get my mba because there's a gap yeah. on the business side of things in healthcare especially behavioral health like i said before very much oriented around the service delivery of care, which is absolutely great. But there is a lot of room for the business side of things to help to centralize and universalize and standardize some of the technology and data aspects that help push that care forward.
1: That's really good. So, as we kind of come into the home stretch here and we're kind of winding down, give us some resources for our listeners that are interested maybe in the collaborative behavioral care that you guys provide and maybe even some things about yourself and what you're doing, how can they find out more?
0: I would say check out www.cbcare.org and also check out Mm www.imsnyhealth.com. There are a lot of resources, a lot of white papers that we've published around emerging technologies and looking at kind of how to leverage technologies in the care that we provide. And also, you know, check me out on LinkedIn. It's E-L-I-S-E and then Cole Grant, K-O-H-L hyphen G-R-A-N-T. I post a lot of webinars and other podcasts that I've been on and, you know, I invite users to click the link to subscribe and follow me message me i'm pretty personable and i like to talk so i will most likely message you back if you hit me up on a message in linkedin
1: that's awesome we're going to provide those links on our uh, resource page as well Well, Lisa, it's been great to have you on the show. Congratulations on what you've achieved and what you're continuing to do and build for this field. And I think that gap that you're bridging is such an essential and important component for the services that are available to be given to and received by those that need it. So well done. Congrats Uh, on that.
0: Thanks, Graham. I, I really appreciated being here today.
1: Great to have you. Thank you for joining us. You. You know, I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Elise and me today. It's always great to have you with us. And I want to remind you that this episode, its resources, and all of our other shows can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com bht. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com bht, and explore our archive of podcasts and resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you join us next time on Behavioral Health Today.
0: We appreciate it